0: Listening to the Renegade Economists, investigating monopoly profits, great corruption, and the policy solutions demanded. Geeky but essential, the tools to the fairest and most efficient economic system away. With your host, Carl Fitzgerald.
1: Welcome dear listeners to the Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald. So with the Corona crash only just beginning and me hitting the Corona Coaster the other week and taking some time off uh, not getting the show out to you, I thought I would delve into the archives to look at The Miracle of the Runton Mark. This was a, a show recorded with the late, great Dr. Adrian Wrigley, uh, recorded Feb 22 in 2012. It looked at the context of national governments creating currency that is backed by land rents uh, in the context of the the Greek financial debt scenario that was uh, dominating the news cycles at that point in time. Doesn't seem like uh, too much has changed uh, uh, other than the fact that there is a lot of discussion about local currencies being triggered into play uh, to help reinvigorate so many economies that have been devastated by uh, the pandemic. So uh, at this point in time, we need innovative and somewhat radical economic policies to help us and dig us out of uh, the sort of hole we're in when our primary drivers of immigration, foreign students and uh, by the way things are looking with the the China diplomatic standoff, uh, the fact that they are three times greater than any trading partner we deal with Perhaps that too is also on the rocks. So how can governments reset economies to reflect the sort of future that uh, all of society needs? to speak to Dr. Adrian Wrigley. He's based in Brittany, France, and he is uh, involved in a group called the Systemic Fiscal Reform Group. They have some innovative angles on how to get the whole land and banking system in order. And as we've seen overnight with uh, the latest uh, Greek bailout fiasco. It, How long will it be, Adrian, do you feel, until uh, the Greek uh, debt situation raises its ugly head?
0: I think it will raise its head uh, pretty much every few weeks until uh, there's some uh, major event. I think the uh, situation will develop with Portugal and Italy and, um, I don't
1: know, further further afield as well. So it's
0: uh, an ongoing situation
1: I watch very closely. Interesting that they actually got the bondholders to uh, write down uh, beyond 50% of the debt, uh, some 53.5% there, but uh, uh, it's really only a short-term measure, isn't it? And and there's the finance minister saying, uh, look, uh, the Greek people, all we have to do is work, 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 Uh, but yet thousands are uh, booking plane tickets now to leave the country, no doubt, uh, uh, as um, this onerous debt burden stretches everyone's uh, pockets and and as we've seen uh, so many public sector worker uh, jobs and wage levels have been cut what could they be doing to um to bring about a more realistic sense of change there
0: uh, well, that's a very good question. And it depends on what constraints, what uh, limits they place on it, because the, the problems are not very difficult to solve. You just have to accept that debts that can't be repaid won't be repaid. So I think a debt default should actually be part of the solution. But the system is wired to blow, uh, Carl, unfortunately, because the uh, uh, the debts have been guaranteed through credit default swaps, uh, CDS instruments that have been issued by the top US banks. So if there is a default event, uh, then those come into play and that will render the US banks insolvent. So I think what's needed actually is a a comprehensive bank holiday. In other words, uh, shutting the uh, banks down not only in Greece, but the banks in uh, America and uh, the UK and really Reestablishing them after uh, s- netting out the uh, the liabilities and the obligations, but that's I think we 're a long way from that. It uh, really takes it to the uh, complete collapse that's uh, um, perhaps on its way
1: and one of the one of the big issues is that those CDs uh, swaps are around $30 trillion, and the three American banks, the big ones, uh, Citibank, JP Morgan and Bank of America, have nineteen percent each of the total worldwide derivatives market, And it seems like there's behind-the-scenes games going on uh, with uh, insuring against these credit default swaps. These guys have have, uh, backup plans on backup plans. So do you know much about this level of insurance taken out against the Greek debt and whether they'll default or not and how that relates to the CDS market?
0: Well, I'm not sure about backup plans on backup plans. That's uh, news to me. Uh, but it's clear that the uh, the major focus in the negotiations is how to uh, arrange for the bondholders to voluntarily agree to not get their money back. And it seems quite perverse that uh, bondholders would voluntarily agree. But the alternative, uh, as I say, is the triggering of these uh, CDSs. And so there's plenty of motivation on the uh, part of the... Uh, the, the troika, the powers that be, the the banking system, to to give the bondholders nothing, but not default, which is really
1: a, a derangement of the words themselves. <laughs> Mm, I know, isn't it? And it seems like so much of this battle going on, uh, you know, the International Swaps and Derivatives Association, they're the ones who actually determine what a default is. And even though they're writing off more than, more than half of the debt owned, that's not deemed an official default but um, some of the reading online we're seeing is that uh, you know, th- there could well be a, a legal case to mount against the ISDA which of course happens to be owned by um, and, and controlled by many of these big uh, US banks uh, whether, whether some of these private bondholders will take the ISDA to court because if they could prove that it was in effect a default they would get the, their insurance payout on this default. Uh,
0: it's been very cleverly con- Constructed, And I think uh, J.P. Morgan was involved in the design of these uh, systems, having had uh, similar involvement with Argentina. I think J.P. Morgan was on both sides of the table at various points in time and uh, designed the, uh, the, the contracts so that they never have to pay, which, to my mind, is nothing less than fraud. So I think if the... Uh, uh, if the uh, association was taken to court, they would lose. It's uh, it's a tough one because if the uh, if the swaps are triggered, uh, then that will trigger more defaults and uh, a cascade. So. We live in difficult times, Carl.
1: Really, in mainstream analysis, you're not getting any sense of hope that there's there's a, a there's a way forward through this. It's just more and more rioting pictures, and uh, you know more and more stories on on a, on the size of. Uh, police riot squads here in Melbourne, doubling in size over the last couple of weeks. So, um, you know, where is the preventative economics? You know, where well, where's the thinking that this can never happen again? But yet, uh, all we're seeing is that uh, the world of uh, derivatives and uh, and sovereign debt, uh, private debt, that is the way forward. And um, we've got you on the show today because you've got some uh, some innovative takes on on a country that. That you know, not so many people know about, but in terms of economics, uh, especially down here in Australia, I'm talking, um, you know, the, the German way of thinking. And uh, uh, Bismarck was was such a influential uh, uh, force in the development of economics. Can you perhaps take us back in time, uh, back to uh, Bismarck, the founder of the German Empire, and run through some of the um, innovative policies he had in place to to keep in check uh, the privileged echelons of society. Well, this is a
0: very interesting topic, Carl. I've been uh, researching this, trying to understand how uh, economic systems have developed, how it is we got to where we are today. And if you go through history, you see step by step, it seems very reasonable, each step which is taken, but the, the direction overall has been problematic. But I think the occurrence of the world wars was uh, a major change in the uh, system, because uh, before World War I, for example, the, uh, the world economy was changing quite rapidly. Um, Bismarck, as you say, was a founder of the German Empire in 1871. And one of the things he did was create a, a strong banking system, a central banking system um, focused on the uh, Reichsbank, which became a, a note-issuing bank. It could issue banknotes. And uh, private banks associated with that, which were um, only able to issue money backed by gold. There's a, a requirement for one third of the money supply to be backed by gold, and that model held uh, right up until the start of World War One. But uh, a second thread of what was happening in Germany in the German Empire prior to World War One was the uh, development of property taxes, and in particular. Uh, land tax and la- land value tax, uh, really inspired by the, uh, the writings of Henry George and Sylvia Gazelle and so on. They were pioneers in the theory of the field, but Germany was actually implementing it in the uh, the municipalities across the uh, across Germany. The New York Times was writing in 1910 that. This was really the secret of a German economic miracle. As the uh, towns started implementing what they called Suwachsteuer, uh, property tax, they were becoming more and more commercially uh, vibrant. And in fact, the the theory that the land should be owned publicly and not privately was being tested to its fullest in the uh, German colonial concession of Chao, which people may know know now as Tsingtao. Uh, uh, they have a uh, well-known brand of beer from Tsingtao, uh, from the German influence, and that the basis of Tsingtao was a, a trading colony in China, which was obtained as a 99-year lease on the uh, Chinese land. So they were prohibited from selling the land in perpetuity. They could only uh, lease the land or rent out the land. And as um, the colony developed, it was obtaining revenue for uh, government services through the uh, ownership of land while allowing free movement of uh, goods and uh, free labor. People could work without paying income tax or anything. So that was uh, a demonstration of the german system in uh, in microcosm
1: why I love 3CR subscriber drivers on this week so please support 3CR support the renegade economists and give us a call here at the station now nine four nine eight three double seven that's nine four nine eight three double seven we do need your precious cash to keep this station ticking over it's just a handful of volunteers uh, uh, keeping the front desk running and answering all those emails all that sort of jazz how many live broadcasts have we done here at 3CR this week had a great time at slf uh, broadcasting there so uh, thanks to all the team so yeah hopefully um you can uh, dig deep into those pockets and support this show support the station and uh yeah we're going to head back now to the interview with uh, uh dr adrian wrigley from the systemic fiscal reform group that's SystemicFiscalReform.org. What were the employment and uh, inflationary aspects when, when they had uh, some system of uh, rent recycling? That you know, the the value of the earth is going to go up naturally, and if that's what these property taxes do, they capture a a share of uh, the land component, which of course is uh, our our most prominent uh, natural resource.
0: Well, the key thing to understand here is that the uh, money system of, uh, uh, certainly for government money in an area, is backed by the taxation. So taxation gives the the root demand uh, for the money. And if the uh, taxation is based on land, it effectively means you have a uh, a land-based money system. And in the uh, Tsingtao, it means that the the money supply was growing as the, uh, as the colony grew while avoiding inflation. It uh, gives a, an ample supply of uh, money for, uh, for the government.
1: Germany under Bismarck, it had these strong banking laws and it, it developed the property tax. We're always talking about, you know, having some sort of land tax in place, but the strong banking angle is what I'm interested in. And it, you know, it seems that there was a lot of movement uh, prior to World War I towards this, um, a more equitable system in Germany where, uh, you know, the banking was, was encouraged to focus on industrial lending rather than the, the speculative uh, sort of mindset. The problem in the Mons system is that
0: the money is being issued against land and uh, inflating it. And when you have a, a gold-backed system that limits the amount of money available for, for land speculation and with, without the burden of uh, taxation on transactions or taxation on uh, labor, you can get greater returns from investment in industry. Uh, versus uh, speculation in land, so it's really uh, a system which directs the economy to to the industry, and of course, uh, the Germany was very uh, very strong in developing uh, education in uh, university level, and that uh,
1: powered economic growth up until the uh, start of the war. And so, how were how strong were they on fractional reserve banking? Was that encouraged? Well it was uh,
0: permitted, I wouldn't say it was uh, encouraged. The uh, requirement is to have one third of outstanding debt backed by uh, backed by gold. So that places uh, a limit, provided the uh, bankers are uh, uh,
1: genuinely uh, honest to apply that. Can you compare that to the modern day situation?
0: Modern banking has either very low reserves or in practice no reserves at all. But behind that, there's a question of what are bank balance sheets in reality? Are they telling us the truth? Are they putting the assets they hold at the true market value? Or are they using mark-to-model accounting where they have a a financial model of what the assets ought to be worth, or even what people call to fantasy uh,
1: model. Let, let's break that down a little bit. So w- we're saying that in the modern era, we have this speculative mentality that booms the price of land, and then banks set their balance sheets and their fractional reserve lending against this hyperinflated price of land.
0: That's right. The uh, bank balance sheet has uh, debts on one side and like assets on the other. The um, the assets would represent the mortgages, fixed assets, and so on. But the uh, the debts of the bank are the uh, private depositors' uh, money. So, if they can falsify the assets, if they can inflate the value of the assets, they can also inflate the value of their deposits.
1: We've seen, the, you know, much of the mainstream analysis blaming uh, this global credit crunch on the derivatives markets and sort of what we've played through here is the fact that uh, derivatives are an insurance policy against this uh, speculative heat in the market. Are the derivatives the cause or are they sort of uh, second or third down the chain?
0: Well, I would say they're second or third down the chain. That The, uh, uh, the original problem was with uh, mortgages. That, uh, of course, we saw the mortgage crisis in the uh, 1980s with the uh, US uh, savings and loans uh, crisis. And that wasn't heavily uh, derivatives based, as as I'm aware. But the banks like to issue uh, new money against uh, land assets or housing assets uh, because they can be so easily repossessed if necessary. And the, uh, the owner has uh, an income stream generally to, to pay for them. So the innovation was with the Uh, mortgage-backed securities, so that's the first level of uh, derivatives that really allowed the uh, the risks to be passed on from the banks onto third parties and that uh, really is a very hazardous, it's uh, full of moral hazard uh, allowing the, uh, the people responsible for generating the loans not to be responsible if they go wrong. I think the High-level derivatives of uh, CDS's come on on top of that, and uh, of course there's the the general futures markets, futures markets in uh, precious metals and so on, which are
1: uh, another
0: layer of um, potential instability.
1: We had Sun Yat-sen trying to build the new geo-capitalist Republic of China around 1911. Canada, Australia, New Zealand all had land tax programs at various levels of government back in that sort of era. Germany taking land tax nationwide. Uh, The People's Budget of 1909 in Great Britain leading to uh, the House of Commons passing it very quickly and uh, the House of Landlords, the upper house in uh, the Westminster system in in that um, period of time. Locking down that debate and um, forestalling it for 18-odd months, one of the longest debates ever in the House of Lords. And uh, one of your articles here, you write that uh, Mexican land reform was taking place around that time too. So what on earth went wrong? How, uh, how have we gone from that sort of phenomenon to, uh, you know, this... Um, situation today where, where it's property speculators who are the ones who are getting all the subsidies and all the bailouts.
0: Yes, you uh, raise a, a catalogue of issues uh, before the First World War uh, relating to the introduction of land taxation and it, it really does fit a very wide pattern. Uh, you mentioned Australia of course uh, but uh, even China uh, moving from the imperial system to a, uh, a capitalist republic which of course was failed with the, uh, the communist revolution but that would open uh, a huge uh, land mass to a, uh, a capitalist system and in the end the uh, Republic of China uh, became just uh, Taiwan as the government uh, fled the mainland so the picture here is that land taxation was taking off everywhere right across the world and that was posing a, a grave threat to the uh, the powers that be the what the occupiers would call the 1% in fact it's probably more like the 0.1% because their landed incomes were being threatened by democratic governments and the uh, the solution was the uh, the federal reserve system and uh, world war 1 world war 1 of course uh, created a massive amount of uh, debt and that debt had to be paid back somehow we have the uh, uh, reparations of uh, against Germany from the Treaty of Versailles those were to be paid in gold one and a half billion ounces of gold uh, if I uh, uh, calculate it right but these uh, gold reparations were really to uh, to bail out England and France who had uh, gone into debt with the uh, United States uh, government and with the uh, uh, Federal Reserve System banks. So the money was going around in a a loop or a a chain from uh, Germany uh, through England and France uh, to America
1: and these were extortionate debts weren't they that uh, the american banks were asking uh, you know the history of of the french american um, rupture really came through in, in this era because of course the french had lent the uh, americans uh, a lot of money in their uh, uh, war of independence against the UK and uh, and dropped a lot of those debts in that time but of course when it came to World War One America didn't uh, you know had selective memory and, and didn't do uh, the sort of reciprocal rights that the French were expecting.
0: Yes and of course it was uh, France that was instrumental in the um, uh, final collapse of the gold standard under Nixon because the uh, uh, the French um, Central Bank was demanding the uh, the gold back which was uh, stored um I believe it was stored in the uh, supposed to be stored in Fort Knox uh, and under the um, the gold exchange standard France had a right uh, to get the gold but uh, um it became obvious that the US couldn't supply gold for uh, all the dollars that it had uh, created and so effectively, the uh, U.S. defaulted and uh, dropped us out of the gold standard entirely. But going back to the uh, time following the uh, First World War, France was um, trying to pay its uh, debts to the uh, U.S. Uh, banking system then, and it was the, uh, the reparations of gold under the Treaty of Versailles, which was the only means that uh, it had to uh, to repay those. Uh, effectively so it, what it did was it left the german economy in uh, tatters having had the uh, war having had the the loss of human capital and the loss of uh, financial capital germany was unable to pay the debts and this of course was well understood by john maynard keynes who uh, who wrote about it in uh, in his book that um, Germany would be unable to repay the debts under the Treaty of Versailles and of course the the consequence of unrepayable debts is a, uh, a currency collapse
1: we're listening to Dr. Adrian Wrigley from Systemic Fiscal Reform Group. Remember why I love 3CR. All you podcasters out there, please tune in to the 3cr.org.au website, 3cr.org.au website, and uh, flick us some coin. Come on, support the renegade economists. Love to hear from all you podcasters, as always. So uh, we're hearing about the weight of debt following World War One, and, uh, yes, of course, that led to a radical uh, nature uh, with... Uh, Hitler coming through, but before that there were some very interesting uh, banking innovations in the 1920s. Have a listen to this.
0: We talked about the Bismarck banking system based on the the gold standard and based on uh, uh, a government-owned central bank, the Reichsbank. The gold standard was dropped, of course, uh, during the First World War as they effectively switched to a paper standard. But after the treaty of versailles the money system really no longer had its backing it uh, didn't have sufficient uh, taxation to uh, to support the values at the uh, at the old gold standard levels so this exposed the uh, german currency to a speculative attack in fact it was uh, i think it was in 1922 that uh, germany was forced to uh, privatize the central bank and that really triggered an escalation of the inflation because the uh, the rice bank uh could now um print money for uh, profit based on uh, uh private uh, debts that were uh, uh were taken out so the, the rice bank was uh, printing money heavily but also, there were emergency issues of uh, money called uh, not geld by the municipalities because they would be running out of money as the inflation took hold. They'd uh, print their own uh, notes and then exchange them for money later. and even the uh, the railway company, nationalised railway company was uh, issuing its own money system. So we have uh, a situation where you've got several different uh, money issuers competing. Uh, to print as much as they could, and by the summer of 1923, it was taking, uh, you know, the proverbial wheelbarrows of uh, money to buy the loaf of bread. But still, the government uh, wasn't acting to uh, to implement a solution, and the solution really only came about uh, when the economy was in uh, complete uh, collapse, and the solution was to uh, ban the Reichsbank from involvement in the uh, in currency issue completely the government uh, created a new uh, central bank called the renton bank and the new central bank was to issue its own uh, new currency the renton mark and that was issued on the fifteenth of november nineteen twenty three as a uh, a paperback currency or a paper-based currency that was backed by mortgages on the uh, entirety of the uh, the property of Germany and uh, including industrial uh, property and farmland and so on. The mortgages gave a, a, a root demand for the money which was to be paid in twice annually I think in April and October and that really stopped the hyperinflation uh, completely. It took uh, a matter of weeks for the uh, financial problems to I wouldn't say uh, be cured but the the inflation stopped and people uh, began getting back to work uh, under the Renton Mark. In fact the the Renton Mark was so successful it was called the miracle of the Renton Mark and uh, that survived until uh, 1924 the following year when uh, uh, an American banker Charles Dawes brought in the, uh, uh, the Doors plan. It's a, a plan to bail out the financial system to uh, to switch out of the rent and mark. The, the rent and mark was uh, a danger or a danger to the status quo because the, the system was backed by mortgages and not backed by income tax or uh, customs or excise uh, taxes. And so it had the effect of being a a land back currency and that's what the uh, the ruling classes want to avoid. It was interesting because it was just so rapidly successful people talk about the current situation and say it would take 10 years for the uh, Greek problem to be solved it's taken uh, more than 20 years for the uh, Japanese problem to work through and it's uh, still not uh, concluded but the Renton Mark was an immediate success and the reason the rent and mark was an immediate success is that it was uh, based on the sound principle of collecting the, uh, the money through the land and issuing it uh, from the government. It creates a, a flow through the economy which is uh, stable and effective rather than having it issued privately and then collecting it through uh, income tax, for example.
1: And so there we have. That's Dr. Adrian Wrigley. Going to have to cut that short podcast as you will get a special extended interview. And uh, yes, uh, regular listeners, tune in to the 3CR website to hear the last six minutes of this fascinating conversation with Dr. Adrian Wrigley as we delve through the history. You know, this is why economic history has been removed from the curriculum. We need to reinstate the classical economics. This is back when the people were aware of the power of monopoly, and that's why we're here each and every week on The Renegade Economist. My name's Carl Fitzgerald. I'll look forward to uh, being with you next week. Check out earthsharing.org.au. That's earthsharing.org how on earth did doors manage to fly in and, and you know, this U.S. banker come in and axe this program and and replace it with what uh, some sort of gold-backed uh, system?
0: Well, I think it was obvious to the U.S. bankers that Germany was, uh, again, moving towards the uh, land-backed system and the the Rentenmark mark wasn't internationally tradable. It was effectively a uh, local currency for the whole of Germany. So, under the, uh, the Doors Plan, which in Germany is known as the Doors Loan, the U.S. came in with a very large sum of money to buy up uh, German industry and to form uh, cartels. Uh, the cartels in Germany were modelled on uh, Standard Oil, uh, the Rockefeller a- outfit, and uh, also the, the J.P. Morgan uh, cartels, which had... Um, been so successful for the uh, ruling classes in the US so that created in uh, Germany uh, I believe it was three uh, major cartels, they had an electrical cartel uh, which we know as AEG there was uh, an oil and steel uh, cartel and there was a chemicals cartel known as IG Farben so these uh, major cartels were established really with the backing of Wall Street with U.S. money in order to allow the German business to develop, to collect economic rent from uh, the German economy and to, uh, uh, to make payments of uh, reparations and uh, debt to the,
1: uh, to the U.S. What can we take out of this uh, for, the, for the Greek uh, situation now? Well, what we see is that currencies
0: have to be backed by uh, taxation, at least uh, government issued uh, currencies do. And the type of taxation you choose is critical to the operation of the system. The optimal form of taxation is through uh, land values, and we've seen that in uh, Germany through the Rentenmark. But we've also seen it through uh, Hong Kong, which is uh, uh, very successful because of its avoidance of the, uh, the capitalist system. It uses uh, <clears throat> what I like to call a geo-capitalist system where the land is owned by the government or the land is taxed by the government. And so in uh, Greece, what we need to see is a, uh, a currency which is land-backed. Now, ideally, that could perhaps be done uh, across the entire European Union, but... The difficulty with this is that it would require uh, a fiscal policy to be uh, set across the union and it's only the monetary policy which is um, set across the union and not the, uh, uh, the tax policy. So in uh, November uh, last year we saw a simulation by the Greek government of a uh, what is in fact a new currency, they call it a voucher, the Greek government would be issuing vouchers for 50% of uh, pensions, 50% of wages uh, and so on. So this would allow it to halve its uh, wages uh, in euros, but uh, top it up with these vouchers, and the vouchers would be redeemable against tax. And in particular, uh, the vouchers could be redeemed against the new property tax that they developed. So although this is seen as uh, a drastic emergency measure in Greece, it would be, in fact, quite closely modeled on the Renton Mark, which was very successful. So I think this is the way forward uh, for Greece if, uh, if they can persuade the people in charge to, uh, uh, to permit it. Uh, a system based on government issue of vouchers and then uh, redemption against taxation.
1: How then does that actually create an income flow, because wouldn't one be cancelling out the other?
0: Well, they wouldn't be going into debt, uh, deeper and deeper into debt because of this. So you avoid the problem that the, uh, uh, the Greek government is uh, running out of euros. They can issue any quantity of uh, vouchers provided that they withdraw them at uh, the same rate uh, against the uh, uh, tax obligations and the property. I
1: think that's sufficient to create a, uh, uh, a stable flow of currency in a system. Adrian, fantastic stuff. Is there anything you wanted to just add in closing?
0: Well we've been uh, working on this in the Systemic Fiscal Reform Group for uh, three or four years now and we find that you need to look through history very carefully to see how things were structured and uh, why they succeeded or why they failed but what we see at the moment is that uh, all this expertise that can be drawn from history, all this uh, understanding is completely lost. And it's what uh, some people call the corruption of economics. E- economics now seems to be more cheerleading for the uh, status quo than a, uh, uh, a sound science based on uh, the theory of uh, flows of uh, economic value. One of the things we have uh, developed in the Systemic Fiscal Reform Group is uh, a system of uh, converting the current financial system into a land-backed system, which we call the Location Value Covenant. And uh, we've got some information on our website, which is uh, SystemicFiscalReform.org, which uh, explains the Location Value Covenant as a a voluntary uh, tax reform, uh, similar to what uh, perhaps um, your group is pushing in the uh, land value tax, but without the uh, need for compulsion.
1: Yes, we need a diversity of tactics. And Dr. Adrian Wrigley, uh, fantastic to have you on the show. I wish we had more time to really get stuck into this, but we will have to get you back uh, in the coming months to discuss that in more detail. Thank you very much, Carl. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this month's A Renegade Economist uh, great to have Dr. Adrian Wrigley back online. That podcast had fallen offline. A number of uh, blogs around the world have talked about it and wanted it back online. So there it is. Uh, keep in touch uh, via renegades at earthsharing.org.au if you'd like uh, further uh, investigation of this topic. Uh, please uh, Zap me away. Send me an interesting story from where you listen to this podcast. I'd love to hear you're sitting on a beach, you're doing the dishes, you're doing uh, that handy work out in the shed. Come on, entertain me, entertain each other. Let's stay sane. Let's keep pushing for a fairer future. My name's Carl Fitzgerald. I look forward to uh, being with you on the public airwaves of 3CR in the very near future.